the dynamics are not ever just about the specific discussion point and the two people and the specific facts of that. They're bringing all their own histories. They're bringing all their own insecurities. They're bringing the mistakes the company's made in the past. They're bringing their fears. They're bringing all this stuff to the table and then masking it like a conversation about should we build integration of MailChimp or not? Welcome to the Pressnomics Podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in the WordPress ecosystem and beyond as we deconstruct powerful ideas that can help you in business and in life. Now, here's your host, Joshua Strabel. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast today, and I am joined by the consummate professional and my good friend, Chris Lemma. How you doing, Chris? I'm good, buddy. How are you doing? Oh, dude, it's been uh, quite the fun summer. Have you and your family done anything interesting or any uh, news and announcements going on this summer you want to share? We, uh, we went to Turks and Caicos, oh. and it was phenomenal. Um, you know, we, we, we've normally done, when we do Caribbean, we normally do a cruise, but this time we just literally flew there, spent a week there and came back. And my wife was very nervous because it looked like it would be high 80s sun, not a lot of shade. She was just anxious about it. There was a light breeze on that water um, and it never felt like it got super hot. And there were, it was, the, the property was exquisite and we just hung out and did nothing and played and hung out with the kids and my kids are about to be 12 and 14. They're 11 and 13. They still want to hang out with mom and dad. Uh, right? There's like the 13 year old is getting really close to being like, I just want to go do my own thing. But they're still in that place of like, can we just go hang out at this pool or go play, you know, pool volleyball over here? Whatever? And the fact that they're still in that stage made our vacation just fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, mine are a little younger and some days I wish they would go to the other room, <laughs> but I imagine when they're older, you, you begin to kind of miss that. And it's a well, rare thing. When yeah. When they're at home, you know, my daughter is on Pinterest and she's on the phone with her boyfriend and blah, blah, blah. And my son is on his computer, multiple monitors, Minecraft. And if not there, then he's on the Xbox or he's on the PS4. Like, they will disappear on a Saturday and we won't see them for hours because they can entertain themselves. Uh So you always get that feeling like, Hey, when we go on vacation, are they just going to want to be with their digital devices and not hang out? But they, they put those things in a drawer and they were like, let's go hang out mom and dad. And we just had a great time. So that the digital devices, like the media, it's like almost you're, you're competing with your own child's attention at times. Oh, Oh, yeah. And it's not, let's be clear, it is not just children. My friends, my wife, right? Like, I'll be like, hey, honey, let's watch this movie. Turn on the movie. And if you've ever had the situation where I'm sitting on the couch, so the TV's right in front of me, uh-huh. she's sitting at the kitchen table behind me, and I'm thinking she's watching the movie, and I'm watching the movie, but I've already seen the movie. My whole joy is to wa- have her watch the movie, and then I turn around to look, and she's on her phone and I'm like, okay, pause me. What, what's going on? Well, I got this text from a friend and we're going to try and have coffee tomorrow. And I'm like, I'll, I'll just wait. I'll just, <laughs> right. I'll just wait. Yeah. Oh. So it's, we're all competing all the time with digital devices and, and what they do for all the people around us and myself. Right? Have so. you uh, enabled the screen time app on any of your iDevices? Yes. On all the devices. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, we do that, A, for content restrictions for the kids, but also time restrictions. I mean, I, I mentioned this the other day to another guest. I don't want to feel like I'm um, outsourcing my parenting, but uh, the the content or the screen, sc- what is the, I just said it. The screen time app on iOS, yeah. there we go. Sometimes it gets to be the bad guy. So when it turns itself off, the kid's like, oh, I wanted to watch such and such, or, or can I get five more minutes? And I'm like, sorry, bud, it just yeah. turned off. You know? Yeah, I get that, because you're a super polite dad. I'm Latino, <laughs> so I can just be like, I am the bad guy all the time. And no, 20 minutes with a boyfriend, 30 minutes with a video game, 30 minutes with the shows. But dad, the shows are 20 minutes long. Great, 30 minutes minus 20 means you have 10 free minutes. <laughs> but dad, if I could just get 10 more minutes, I could watch another episode. No. No. You get 30. That's what you get, you know, and so it, it just it just is what it is. And they during the week, 20 minutes a day with the boyfriend or 30 minutes a day with video game. They each get, I think, about 30 minutes with TV. That's it. That's what you get. And and then it's off. And uh, they know that if I or their mother call them, mm-hmm. hey, Christian, come down or Emily, come down. If we call them and we hear the words one sec or hold on a minute or let me just finish this, that then they lose it for the rest of the week. I mean, oh, it's just wow. that cut. So the answer is always, yes, dad, or yes, mom. And my son now, I mean, he's he's 11, about to be 12. He gets off those games in a femtosecond, nice. right? He's just like, he hears, oh, yes, and he, he's off. And other adults and parents are in the house when that happens, you know, and I'll call them and they'll watch it and they're like, how do you, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, I'm consistently willing to be the bad guy. Yeah. And yeah. as a result, I don't actually have to be the bad guy that much, right? But it's just you gotta be willing to go, nope, sorry, that's that's the end of that one, right? And you can start again next week and earn the privilege back, right? So uh I my wife hates it when I say it, but for me, parenting, almost everything I learned about parenting, I learned from first training dogs. Oh, um, and I paid, <laughs> She hates when I say it, but I paid a ridiculous amount of money for a super professional uh, dog trainer when I, my first purebred, super expensive German Shepherd years ago. And that guy showed up to my house and the dog wasn't doing something. And he goes, uh, just to be clear, you're paying me to train you, not the dog. Uh. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. He goes, yeah, you, you say to the dog, you say no and you say off and you say the dog's name how's a dog supposed to know what the heck you mean, right? And so I, I spent a couple of years developing a certain level of consistency with the dog that then allowed me to leverage that consistency with, with kids. Again, it's, it's not the path that everyone takes, but it's the path I took, and it does allow me to be very consistent with the kids. Well, you know, I think any parent out there could always use another trick in their handbag. So if, if it comes from the world of dog training, it's like judges... We'll allow yep. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, so so going back real quick to Turks and Caicos, I've always wanted to take the family there. Um, they have like a a couple all-inclusive resorts there. Is That's, it as beautiful as the brochures make it look? Yeah, so, so yes, 100% yes. So we flew to Orlando and spent a day and a half in Orlando just because I didn't want to get to Turks and Caicos tired because I'm coming from California. Mm-hmm. But we flew to Orlando, got there in the evening. The next day, we spent the day in Orlando so they could go to one of the parks or whatever. And then the next morning on Sunday morning, 
we flew down from from Orlando straight down to uh, Turks and Caicos. We got there early, so it was like you know noon or whatever. So yeah. I wasn't tired, and you and and we went to beaches, which is the family resort yep. right on the water. Um, it's a massive property, tons of restaurants and tons of pools and tons of uh, different kinds of villas, and um, uh, ev- like every day we would go to a different part of the property. We'd go to different parts of the beach, different pools. Um, and it was all inclusive, right? So you never you never go to your pocketbook for anything. Uh, we had a fantastic time. Nice. All right. Well, I will add that to the list of recommendations that says we, we have to go there. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting segue, but you made me think of it. Uh, for, for anybody who doesn't know, and I'm sure you all know Chris, he's been a coach of uh, business leaders and entrepreneurs and a, and a product guy for 19 years. He, the man knows his stuff. So here's a question. When I have looked at Turks and Caicos and the beaches resort and, um, you know, trying to look at the various villas, you know, retail price, MSRP, nineteen, eighteen, seventeen $17,000. But they're always consistently without fail running like a 65% off deal. Explain to me this pricing strategy. Why would you consistently always discount 65, 70% off your prices? So... The thing to understand about this dynamic, which, by the way, not only is it curious to me, right, but I went into their sales office for one half day of my entire seven and a half days there Mm -hmm. uh, to talk with their sales guys because I was like, I would like to buy, we, we normally buy a vacation like two years in advance. So I was like, two years out, I want this one to be, we're going to go to the one that isn't beaches. We're going to the other one was just adults because I want to take my wife. And I see that you have a new property in Barbados, but I need to understand this pricing. I need to understand how you're doing it. I want to understand everything about it. <laughs> and what I discovered about the process, right, is, is truly remarkable. So first of all, to answer the core of your question, um, it is very different than all the rest of the things we buy, Okay. right? If you think about when you, even when you, I mean, the number of times that you or I have probably looked at buying a car, right? Ooh, that car looks interesting. Let me look at that car. We probably, we may look at a car and the price of a car two, three times a year, maybe, right? Um, Other people are like, oh dear God, I don't look at cars that often, but think about a watch or a coat or a pair of jeans, and you might do it two, three times a month or two, three times a quarter. But when you're doing it that often, okay, then the deal, the special has to be special, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're looking at it all the time. So if someone were always doing 30, 40% off, right? We might go, oh, there's no urgency tied to that, whatever, I don't care. But when we look at an all-inclusive beach vacation, we might do that once every year or two. Yeah. So or some, efficacy, some people, to be fair, once a decade. Yeah, exactly. The efficacy of that offer that drives immediacy is incredibly powerful because we don't go to it often. If you or I looked at it every week, right, we'd be like, oh, it's always on sale. Mm. Here's the crazy part, and this is what I discovered when I was talking to these guys. Oh, yes, it's always on sale. It's not always available. Oh. So we bought we bought a package at this place. We bought it two years in advance. So two years ago, uh, Corey Miller from iThemes and, and uh, iThemes fame and Lindsay Miller and the Lemmas went to uh, beaches in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And we spent a week in Jamaica. And 
And then on that trip, we went into the sales office and we booked for two years later, which was this past summer, we booked this trip. Turned out the Millers didn't go this time, but we, we, still, we booked it, we went. And when we did, they didn't tell us all the different options. They just gave us the, here's a special deal and here's this. And they put a price tag in front of me and they put a price tag that might be expensive, but given that I had two years to pay it off, it wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't right. crazy. It definitely wasn't the most expensive vacation I've gone on. And then we got there. And when we got there, we discovered that this particular property had extra amenities attached to certain kinds of units. If you got a unit with a butler, then you could get the little uh, poolside villa, you know, shaded area. But if you didn't have a unit with a butler, then you couldn't get that unless you went each morning and requested to see if there was any overflow that you right. could book. So I being the kind of guy who likes to be in that little shaded area, I was like, well, that's fine. I'll just go to the front office and just say, hey, what's the cost to upgrade to the Butler Villa? And I'll just just move us. Like, I, like how could you not want more of my money? Yeah. I'm happy to give it to you. And they were like, we have zero availability. Mm -hmm. And you go, like, zero, zero? Like, really zero? Or is this just a game yeah. to upsell me? To They're like, no, look. And and you could, in fact, I did. I went on the website to just try and find it. Pick nothing, right? Gone. So the big promotion, right? The big deal that's constantly going is constantly going. What's changing is the capacity, right? right? It's the occupancy, and since that's adjusting, you may get. Since we go there only, we go to say say you go to beaches.com. You may only go to there once once a year, once every two years, once every ten years. So the efficacy of that pop-up that says, you know, or that, or that banner that says 50% off, you go, that's amazing. But it's also because there is a, not just a normative dynamic of like, hey, we want you to close quickly. It's a reality that there is scarcity built into the product because there's a fixed number of units. Right. So even as you're picking that 60% off, you may discover that, oh, no, there's no, there's nothing available that week. But if you're picking it a year in advance, two years in advance, the second week of July versus the third week of July versus the fourth, you just make that adjustment and you don't mind anymore, right? Mm -hmm. But when you get close, it's not available, right? So uh, that's pretty fascinating that they they have employed this um, gambit, right? It's it's yeah. it's partially a pricing gambit, partially a negotiation gambit, and whatnot. But the the pricing is an anchor to some degree, like you know, their, their MSRP, it's $18,000. You're getting an $18,000 of value here, but then they have the discount for a little bit of urgency, but then they have the um, occupancy or the availability, yeah. which availability. is really driving demand. And here's another trick they do. If you go if you go look at the, the website, um, they have a number there that doesn't say 16, 17, $18,000. They have a number that says $249. And it says, 249 or 127 or whatever and then it says pppn and you per go person per night right that's right but if you didn't catch it and and actually in some of the cases the number's big enough that you think hey that's not bad right so imagine that it says 1600 yeah. right and you're like 1600 okay that's an expensive vacation but it's not bad but you didn't read the pppn you're so you click through, right? I'm not saying I did this, except <laughs> let's be clear. I did this. I saw 1600 and I was like, okay, me and my wife, da, da, da. Okay, then, click, click. And then I get a number and it's like $40,000. I'm like, I'm not, 
I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not, yeah. there's no way. And so then again, you go back in the office, you're like, how'd you get? And they're like, well, that was, you picked the 1600 per person per night. And you go, oh, I see how you anchored me on something that I was not ready for. Right. Yeah. Like I just, but it, it just, cause you're like, wait, what happened here? Right. So um, is that, would you consider that a bit of a dark pattern, a bit of a kind of, that is it, that is what we would call like in yeah. the, in the world of calling something a dark pattern, when you create one expectation for me, and then I'm, I've already given you my name, my address, the dates I want and the property I like, and I've gone through all this and then I get the price and suddenly it's dramatically different. The expectation has been missed. It's what we would call a dark pattern, right? Yeah. Now, now if it if it's if it's small, right? If the delta is small, like let's say you didn't pick the the sixteen hundred. Let's say you saw two hundred dollars per night, and then you get to the end and it's two thousand bucks per person, and not what you were doing in your head. And you're like, but if it's small enough, you might still pull the trigger. Yeah. I happen to think on the bigger stuff, when the delta is that big, right? you have to be out of your mind to be like, I thought it was going to be yeah. a $4,000 week with my wife and it was a $40,000 week. You're like, no, 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 I'm not, you know, let me, let me back this up a little bit. You know, let's keep exploring some pricing shenanigans. Uh, one I've ran into recently is airfare, where depending on where, you, where you're Googling or orbiting or hip monkeying your airfare, you know, you'll get a... a, a a nice flight you're like wow 247 dollars for you know sfo to chicago or something and then you're like click 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 okay yeah 247 plus taxes plus fees plus bag fees. and all of a sudden rather than being you know 500 round trip it's now like 1600 dollars. you're like what the heck yeah yeah so here's we so so the the guys who mastered this mastered it decades ago um, there, there, there is one European company that does pricing, uh, education, pricing, uh, strategy work. And they're one of the only companies I've ever found who do pricing for comp with both competitors, right? So they do pricing analysis and strategy for Coke mm -hmm. and Pepsi. And you're like, that's insane. But they're so good at what they do that both companies are like, I'll sign the waiver, whatever. I want you to come help me. But they're the guys that worked with. Uh, I think it was Jiffy, but it's for your peanut butter. Yeah. Right. And the and the problem, right, that uh, Jiffy had or the peanut butter had was they wanted to raise their price, but everybody was anchored on what peanut butter costs, right? Like they just couldn't get around making the peanut butter more and more expensive. And and of course they had tried, you know, like the extra creamy and the with extra nuts and both, but they just couldn't move too far. So they they were struggling. And these guys came in and said, "Don't change the price." What? okay, you, you may be famous, but you're not showing it in this meeting because uh, I told you I want to raise the price. And you said, no, 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 no. Um, put a dimple in the bottom of your <laughs> peanut butter jar. <laughs> so if you go right now to a supermarket and you grab any peanut butter jar and you flip it over, there yeah. is a dimple and it took, you know, 12% uh, of, the, of yeah. the volume of the jar out and kept the price the same, right? And now tons of different people do this, right? Um, it's, it's what I recommend when, when, you know, if you're running a digital agency and I go, look, if you wanna do, so, you know, don't, first of all, don't give them one price because then the answer is yes or no. Give them three prices so that it's yes, 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 or no. You've changed your odds, right? Mm -hmm. But in the yeses, right, give them the 80% of, of their budget and give them some work to do themselves. That's the dimple move, right? 
you're going to you're going to say, look, it's this price, but you're going to have to do the migration of your site or yeah. you're going to have to do the whatever. Right. Then give them the 110, 120 percent, which adds your recommendation. Right. Like, oh, we also recommend here's something you didn't ask for, but we think yeah. we're the experts in the space and we think how to do this. And then give them the third option, which is the acceleration. plan. Right. It's 200 percent of their budget, but it'll bring next year's results into today. Right. And there are certain people who are like, oh, I would pay money for that. And you go, right, that's the option, right? So there are pricing strategies on how to pull this together. Um, but the peanut butter example, obviously, was the one that for me, I just went, wow, yeah, that's a completely different way to do it because you change what you're pricing. Yeah. And airlines did it and they said, we're going to take luggage out of the equation. Luggage used to be included and now you have separate pricing for luggage. And we're going to use luggage as a proxy for the the gas that we're going to have to pay and the gas prices were going up. And so we'll split this out. And they did it at a time when gas prices were going up. Yeah. So they can tell the narrative because the narrative is everything. Well, right? it was fuel surcharges. Yep. Yep. And they and it started with it's just it's because of the fuel. We're going to have to charge you for luggage. Right. And by telling you that story, you felt like, yeah, I get it. I mean, like they're starting. But nobody ever tracked back to, hey, wait, fuel went down. Yep. Why didn't these fees disappear? They're like, no, no. You, like, <laughs> we set a new bar, right? This is how it's now priced. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty shyster move, if you ask me. Because, yeah, you know, when, when a barrel of oil was 125 bucks, I, okay, you could kind of reason with them. You can get on their side. But when oil crashes three years later and it's 30 bucks and, and everybody's still charging a fuel surcharge, you're like, all right, you're just addicted to the revenue now. Now it's a line item in your income column instead of an expense. And that's when you when you read the stories. One second. <laughs> yeah, the nature of having smart speakers uh, in your house is they start talking because they heard Josh say. Damn something. it, Alexa! <laughs> uh, don't do it. <laughs> don't don't. Alexa, do it. order me a vacation to Turks and Caicos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like. Oh, but Chris, you previously put a password on that you don't even know uh. to stop all purchases. <laughs> um, uh, so um, we were talking about fuel surcharges, fuel surcharges. And the, oh, what I was going to say is go read the story of Blockbuster, right? When you read the history of Blockbuster and Netflix coming in and whatever, they were so addicted to their late fees. Yeah. That they that that that's what killed. I mean, yes, there was a competitor, but they had even created their own online solution, and they were growing it. And at the rate they were growing, you could argue that they could have competed successfully with Netflix had they just transferred their audience from the stores to online and killed the late fees. But the execs that they had there, and eventually they brought in a different CEO. They got so they were like, but but that's thirty that's thirty yeah. percent of our revenue. Right. And since they couldn't get they couldn't handle killing their late fees, they kill the company. Yeah. Right. Um, they get very addicted to revenue. And then you start going, that's I mean, that's right. There is my EBITDA. And I can't like I can't give that away. And you go, yeah, that's that's a problem. So is, is there still one more blockbuster left? Like every once in a while on Reddit, I see it's like an Oregon or Alaska or something. I, I think there was one, but I think it may have closed. <sighs> I think the last one may have closed down. The end of an era. Yeah. Um, before we move on, what other, I mean, what is to you the most egregious pricing, pricing strategy or, or hack that you've seen recently? 
And we'll go ahead and pause here for a moment to thank our sponsor who makes this podcast possible. Shout out to Pagely. Pagely is the original managed WordPress hosting provider in business for over a decade, working behind the scenes to scale the WordPress presence for some of the world's largest brands. Companies like Disney, Warner Brothers, Comcast, Univision, Meredith, and more all trust Pagely to ensure flawless uptime and security for their WordPress websites. If you have a high traffic or high criticality WordPress site that absolutely cannot go down, visit pagely.com slash quote for a free consultation. That's P-A-G-E-L-Y dot com slash quote. And now back to our interview. Uh... I think I would always go with the um, there's a certain kind of pitch that happens when your friends show up and they want to sell you on a multi-level marketing. <laughs> you need some essential oils, Chris. I, I didn't I didn't get very far and you're already making the noise. So I know that I hit the right mark. Right. Because because the crazy the egregious part of this is you take a regular person yep. and you give them a script that they have to learn. Then you send them out to all their own friends. All of a sudden, those friendships turn into business opportunities. And the pitch is, well, what would you spend? Well, you'd normally spend this on yourself, but now you're just buying from yourself. And then, you're, and then you'd normally buy that. And you're like, time out. I have never once spent $600 on toilet paper. So I will not spend that much on it. So this Amway approach doesn't do anything for me. To get, well, for, and then you're buying your own deodorant, your own dishwasher soap, and everyone does this. And now what would you do with an extra $300,000? And you're like, it's never going to happen. Like that is egregious math, right? Um, so to me, I don't think I've ever seen anything that on any level that is as bad as that. Um, and I, I, I keep watching eyes open, but nothing, nothing as bad as that. Oh, I am dying over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the you know your voice kicked up just the notch. You leaned forward in your chair. I could see this one got you. <laughs> oh, this is like so. So I I am a owner of uh, timeshares, right? Mm -hmm. I am in the top five percent of, or actually top one percent of the Las Posadas chain. I'm in the top five percent of the Hilton. Uh, Grand Vacation Club. We own properties all in lots of places. Um, I I love that. But what I love about those two programs is that there is no crazy scheming in uh. the pitch. Um, I have attended others, and you both. There's a dramatic pressure to close, and there's a lot of fake math that's involved, egregious stuff. But even those, even timeshares, don't hold anything compared to the. Uh, I'm going to come into your house and I'm going to pitch you on on some of these things because it starts very innocently with I have a great business opportunity. Yep. You can work your own hours and it, it preys on the deepest desires. We, oh, you'll have more time with your family. Like you're using everything that I want against me mm -hmm. in this negotiation. And then on top of that, your math is so bad that everything about it just just makes me boil. Right. And I just go, <laughs> oh, no, stop. Just stop. You know, it's. So, it's funny coincidence the the interview we recorded this morning. We were also talking about MLMs. Uh, my 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 guest was up in Salt Lake City, and Salt Lake City is the MLM capital of the world. If you don't know, uh, I didn't know that. Wow, uh, it's it's a beautiful city. I love it, but um, yeah, a lot of MLMs up there, and the the essential oil thing is really blowing up. And, oh yeah. Uh, last comment on that. 
you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when Tupperware and Avon first started going, I think it, I think it was interesting and it had its place and it was, it was, it probably did help a lot of people. Nowadays, I, I put it right up there with, you know, snake oil and just the, probably the worst thing you could probably do if business is your goal is to be yeah. in an MLM. Well, here's, here's a crazy thing. Um, Amway specifically had to, by law, because of court cases, had to put at the very bottom of their website a disclosure of what the average revenue was per all, across all their agents, right? And it was like sixty-seven dollars, right? Like <laughs> when a, when a friend would show up to me and be like, "I'm just getting my start," I would literally go to my wallet and be like, "Here's eighty bucks." You're done. Yeah, buy, right? like, leave, walk away. You will, you will make more, and not just leave my house. Never do this again. Like I'll give you the. That's a whole year of the best. You know, that's the average revenue. Because what they're hearing from their uplines, right, is all this other potential money. And you're like, just look at the website. Yeah. Just look at the data that they'll show you. And what's most amazing on the Amway side, particularly, was the people who made the most money weren't selling Amway. The people who were making the most money in Amway were selling the tapes and the videos and yep. the educational material for all the Amway people because they felt guilty. Like, well, every single one of them would say, well, I could do better if I was more committed, if I was more yeah. diligent, if I was more this, I just need more education. And so they would spend even more money buying more educational materials and still not, and you're like, nah, this is, this typical, is wrong. Um, typical gold rush, right? The people selling yeah. the picks and the shovels made all the money and you know, exactly sure, right. yes, a few people caught a vein of gold. But most yeah. people didn't. In fact, most of the people that even caught a vein of gold used the money from the vein of gold to double down to catch the next one and uh, then didn't. And that was really painful for people. So uh, to our listeners out there, I don't know if you noticed, but Chris is a really sharp guy, knows his, knows his shit. Um, 19 years, you said, um, coaching and I coaching know you, people. Yeah. And I know you worked as a, a, a product guy. You're, you're, you're very adept at creating, launching, branding, positioning new products. So let's talk a little bit about your uh, coaching experience. You know, what got you to want to offer advice and help and, and mentor, you know, rookies? Because 20 years ago, I, I, you're a little older than me, but 20 years ago, you're probably still a rookie too. So, so the, the, the fortunate thing was um, about, by 19 years, I, I was a rookie. So we had, we had, spun up a company, built it out for a year and a half, sold it, spun up another company, run it for two years and sold it. And I think it was in the third one uh, when I felt like, okay, I have, I don't have every answer to everything, but in this particular space, I have a couple answers that'll help. And then did two or three more of those. Right. And so then you were like, okay, five, six startups in, right. I've experienced enough to really have some, some uh, advice. And because most of those startups were enterprise oriented, the other thing was you were getting into and, and SaaS, I was just doing some things that other people hadn't gotten to yet. So when they got to SaaS for the first time, I'm like, been there five times over, been there six times over. So then you start feeling like, yeah, I can predict what you're going to hit next. Um, and, uh, and, and so then you'd say things like, listen, you know what? If you haven't experienced this, then there's no problem. But many of the folks that I've seen will start a partnership to do X, Y, or Z. Like you're a developer, you're going to outsource your marketing mm -hmm. and that's going to kill you. Right. Like you're, you're going to end up not learning any of the things you need to learn to make your product better. Right. So 
um, you'd start giving little bits of advice and people would start sharing that. And, uh, and so then I, I net customers from that. And, and for most of the time I still was running a full-time job. Right. So then yeah. you're like, okay, I'm doing this here, there. When I got married, my wife, uh, she is way smarter than me. She waited until we had our first child and I'm holding my daughter in my arms. And then she says, I would like you to stop the startups. Mm. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay. All right. So I'll go get a, I'll go get a, a, like a regular job, I guess. Um, and I, I joined a, a larger company that was pretty focused on entrepreneurial work, right? Building up companies inside of itself. And, uh, and so I did that, but I would work from like six to two, maybe six to three in the afternoon. And then I was done. And if you come from working 20 hours a day in a startup world to working eight or nine hours a day, you're like, this feels like part-time work. Um, <laughs> I have all this free time now. Give me something to fill it with. Yeah. And so then I would, I would start doing some, you know, I, I, I pushed in a little more into coaching and for a couple of years, I didn't even charge and I didn't charge at all because then it meant it wasn't a job, right? I couldn't, my wife wow. couldn't be like, you're still doing it. I'm like, no, no, no. This is just me talking with some friends and helping their business out, right? Um, eventually got enough that I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to actually start one, charging one, for this. One thing you mentioned that I thought was kind of interesting. You said five to six startups, and then you felt comfortable helping your people. So it takes six startups to get over imposter syndrome. Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, what's worse is uh, I think I got over imposter syndrome about a year ago. So <laughs> in the first, first 18 years, you're like, oh, oh, what if I don't get this right? Yeah. Um, but you know what? For me, the, the insecurity or the nervousness can either overwhelm you or it can fuel you just enough to push harder and to learn more and to study and to caveat correctly. And uh, so I never worried about being insecure. I was insecure. I just just learned, let me let me move this past. And so I might tell you, hey, here's what happened to Blockbuster. I could be wrong applying this metaphor to your situation, but it sounds similar. And they would go, it sounds very similar. And then I go, here's a here's a case study. And then we walk it through and then they go, okay, I'm gonna change something. So it wasn't just my brilliance, right? It would be some, yeah. some other material. So I felt comfortable talking it through, learning the stories, understanding the metaphors, knowing when to apply them would be where I was doing it. But amazingly right i would watch guys who did one startup yeah like one startup and it would be successful not just because of the actions they took but because of where they were and what time it was and what was happening with the competition yeah and i would look at it and i go you were very successful because of all these things and they would finish their first startup sell it and be like i'm ready to coach all the startups in the world. <laughs> and i'd be like wow okay well, okay, good luck with that, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, some of these guys would become friends of mine later and I would sit with them and they'd go, yeah, my neck, they would start another company and start a second or a third and then they'd come back, the, the second and the third both fail quickly. And they go, I thought I had a handle on this. And you go, yeah, well, it's just one of those things you discover, there's lots of different ways to both succeed and lots of different ways to fail. So even if you know one way to not fail, it doesn't mean you've closed all the other ways that you might fail. So it's, it, it takes time to figure that out. The luck and the timing are such a big part of it, right? Because oh, yeah. no matter what business idea you have, the wrong time or the wrong market conditions, you could very well be destined for failure. Like there well, could be no way to succeed. If you look at the Pagely history, Ugh. right? Pagely started 
with a completely different approach. Let me pick a theme. Let me do this other stuff, have the hosting, right? And at that moment, people were like, nah, nah, I don't, I don't want that, right? And then you pivot and adjust. And then there's Paisley, the host that introduces managed WordPress. And you run at that a little bit. Then a whole bunch of market entrance players step in. Then it's time to pivot again towards a different market area, space, yeah. a segment that you can double. And then you go, oh, now we got a formula and let's chase it and, and win, right? But if you think at the beginning that, oh, putting a theme in front and making them choose, that didn't work. Therefore, close the business down. I'm done, right? Um, which we see lots of people do. Yeah. They just go, oh, what, the lesson I'm going to take from this, right? And this is a misattribution error, right? I'm going to attribute the fact that, that this didn't work because of this one thing, and therefore, there's no business here. When in fact, that's the wrong story to tell yourself. The right story would be, let me pivot and adjust and try something else. And then let me pivot and adjust and try something else. And the people who can reimagine the story that they're in are the ones that can navigate through some of those risks, cross those bridges and get to the other side. If you if you don't, if you're telling yourself the story that says, no, this is a failure, I gotta go try, I gotta sell insurance, I gotta go get a yeah. day job, that'll be the ending. You know, uh, I don't want to dwell on this, but for as long as I've known you, you have told our brand story so well every time that I just, I just want to give you a big hug. I just think that's great. But uh, back to coaching. Um, okay, so what was the number one kind of angst or desire or Chris, can you help me with type question were you getting? And, and maybe still are. Like what's really burning at entrepreneurs right now? I think uh, I, I think there's I think there's two dynamics that are constantly at the top of the list, right? Um, number one is how do we tell our story better? How do we do it when we're on the phone? How do we do it with our salespeople? How do we do it on our website? We like, in, in fact, you, you know, you just said it, right? Oh, you tell our brand story better than than most people, and sometimes better than the company itself. Yeah. Um, and and that is that's part of what I bring to the table. So let's break it down and let's rework it and let's find the right way to tell your story. And people often get recommended to me to help them with that, right? And you can call it marketing or product marketing. Uh, but for some companies, it happens even before we build the product because you know, I, I work at a company called Liquid Web, right? And I, I got invited to join the company precisely at the time where they're like, we would like to build some of these products, but we don't know what to build even. And I go, well, it all depends on the story you want to tell. But if we have the right story, then we'll back into building yeah. the product to tell the story that way. It's a different approach to product development than just saying, let's build what we think is cool or let's build what we our guys want to build, right? So, so part of it is telling the story, right? There are people that just, they know that they don't have it right. They know it takes them too many words. They know they have to talk for 12 minutes and then someone asks them a question and then they answer it and then the guy goes, oh, now I get what you do. And you're like, 12 minutes and a question in? This sucks, like, it's my yeah. company. I should do this better. So that's that's one part of it. The other is often because most of the companies I'm working with are, uh, they have some amount of internal uh, development or engineering groups. You get into this debate between um, when should you build things that make your uh, internal business work better? And when should you work on customer facing features? And how do you deal with that uh, priority dilemma of when, when to do what, how much to invest in each one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so we spend a lot of time working through frameworks and formulas for how to make those decisions. Yeah. Okay. So those positioning conversations, those 
those are quite often what you see a lot. And then that's an interesting one I didn't think about that there is a conscious, you know, I, I think we all have it unconsciously as business owners or, or people running businesses, but there's conscious discussions happening around when to allocate resources ver internal versus external. You know, it's, that, it's that kind normally of a fight. It's normally a fight between the CEO and the CTO. Right. Yeah, because you're, so you're I, essentially facing the innovator's dilemma, right? Because yep. you, it's working, don't mess with it, don't touch it, just double down on the marketing. Yeah, but boss, like the server room's on fire. Or boss, right. it takes That's us right. 500 people to do this task that we could automate down to 20, but yeah. don't, don't mess with the cash cow, right? So there's right. that struggle, right? right? Yeah, so I call that kind of coaching, right? If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm literally on a video call with the CTO and the CEO, I call it my version of marriage therapy, right? Because you're, you're like, oh, oh, we're going to get into it now. Because what's amazing is, and you know this in your, in your business and in all the businesses you've interacted with, the dynamics are not ever just about the specific discussion point and the two people and the specific facts of that. They're bringing all their own histories. They're bringing all their own insecurities. They're bringing the mistakes the company's made in the past. They're bringing their fears. They're bringing all this stuff to the table and then masking it like a conversation about, yeah. should we build integration of MailChimp or not? And you're like, okay, let's peel the layers back. This is not just about integration with MailChimp. And then let's get to the core of it. And then let's talk about a framework so that we can all agree how the decision gets made. And so that it's not just this one decision, but all the rest of our decisions can work in this framework and we can equally weight these things, right? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, my friend, Tony uh, Perez, who you know from Scooty, just laughs in my general direction, right? Cause he's like, that's way too many spreadsheets. That's way too much work. He's like, I just decide what I wanna do and I just do it and then that's just that. And you're like, yes, that is an alternative approach yes. to, to making those decisions. <laughs> and they, you can also do that right, right? You can be either super smart like he is or super lucky like other people are and you just kind of go okay um i just prefer a more a more method driven approach to figuring some of that out without necessarily giving away your secret sauce where could others you know what book titles or whatnot should people be looking for to learn about some of these frameworks on you know how to break down that conversation or that decision tree on internal versus external focus of your uh efforts I think there's I think there's a lot of great things out there. Um, uh, McKinsey developed a uh, let me hold on I gotta pull up a browser real quick just to yeah, no make sure I'm make sure I'm attributing it correctly. But I think it's uh, you know because there's there's various McKinsey. there's various management and leadership approaches like Six Sigma and whatnot. But uh, yeah, this is very McKinsey specific. Created, yeah, McKinsey created a um, uh, a framework called the Three Horizons, and and the Three Horizons and reading about the Three Horizons would potentially uh, start walking you through or down that dynamic of uh, how much do you do that is about now and solving the problem today? How much do you do that is related to the future? Um, what's in the middle of that? And so uh, I, I would say if someone wanted to get into figuring some of that out without doing the, the lemma approach to it, um, uh, McKinsey and the Three Horizons would be a, a good place to, to spend some time. Gotcha. So um, when you're working with entrepreneurs, um, 
what sort of layers of the onion are you peeling back? You know, because like you say, a lot of it's masked. Like, oh, I need to figure out how to position my company. But some of it's like psychotherapy. Well, actually, you need to feel comfortable with the idea of you being successful. And then we'll figure out how to get your product out there. The, the biggest one that I spend probably the first bit of time with, and it's the stuff I had to do when I joined Liquid Web, it's the stuff I do when I work with other companies, is invariably I will walk up to, and you and I had this conversation, right? When we were talking a long time ago about paging, you go, define the segments. Just lay out a map of the segments, and can you get comfortable leaving parts of the map to someone else? Mm -hmm. Can you get comfortable saying, that's the, because if you cannot be really good and, and service really well one segment and instead you're pulled in every direction for every segment um there's a good chance you will not win right and uh and so getting comfortable as a person you, for whatever your background may be you may be the kind of person who's like no 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 i want to i want to do this for everyone i want to be a vertical company on all verticals and a horizontal company on all horizontals and i want to do everything and you're like <laughs> okay good, good luck and by the way this is not gonna be a good fit like yeah. you and i are not gonna work well right but when you can say, okay, here's one way to slice and dice the world. Here's one way to define the segments. And in this, you know, slice and dice, this is really where we want to go. We have the most skills for that. We have the best opportunity for that. It is sized the right way. Mm -hmm. um, let's do that. Then the trick is letting go of the rest. Letting someone else be really good at something else and not feeling like, but we could be good at that. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to have to let that go so I can focus over here. And it'll change the ratios of your staff. It'll change the ratios of your profit. It'll change the pricing. Like everything changes once you have a sense of your segment. Um, unfortunately, most people start with the we're for everyone. Yeah. And and you're like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to have to work that one through. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little challenge to the ego there sometimes. So you've, you've worked a lot with entrepreneurs, and uh, I believe you told me you have some in your own house now, right? Are you doing some coaching with your kids on some new ideas? I, I'm more than a coach. I'm an investor and a temporary CEO until she's ready to take it over. But my 13-year-old, who soon become 14, and I have bought a uh, photo booth, right? It's a stand with the iPad and the ring you know, of light and uh, lots of software that does customization stuff and a whole bunch of props and a green screen and all that. I mean, we've bought, invested all of it um, so that what I told her was when she gets into high school and she did, uh, she started her freshman year last year. So this year she just started her sophomore year. And, um, and I said, okay, we're going to let you do your regular school the first year, make sure that you get calibrated. Yeah. Um, but uh, this year we started, and so in the summer, uh, right before school started, we, we made the investment, bought this stuff, and said, okay, we're going to start a company where you start as an employee, but its goal is for you to uh, become the owner of this business, and uh, you're going to have to do a bunch of work, right? And, and yet it's, you know, going to a party and yeah. hanging out with a bunch of people. and do So it is work that she won't feel is as much that work, but... Uh, writing those proposals yep. or getting the pricing right or scheduling. collecting money or scheduling yep. it or creating the custom 
uh, images that go, you know, the, the borders and all that other stuff is all prep work before the event. Uh-huh. Uh, there's, there's a lot to it. So, um, she got super excited right away. Then I opened up the, uh, the photo booth in the house this last weekend. We had people over on Monday for Labor Day and treat it like everything up. And, um, by the time the day was over, my wife was like, you know, I could, I could be involved with this. Like I could drive Emily around and I, you know, like, uh, you know, there, there's, there's probably some things I could do here. And my son was like, I, I'd be really good at, at the props, dad. Like I, how do I get like, so suddenly everybody in the family wanted to be an entrepreneur. Right. And you're like, oh, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll yeah. find ways for all of you to get involved. Um, but I believe that my daughter will be served more effectively in her high school years, learning to run a business than being in a bunch of sports and a bunch of clubs. And I know that uh, that is countercultural to a lot of things, but um, she has yet to show a particular kind of prowess that's sh- that would suggest that she was going to be a pro NBA basketball <laughs> player. And so I just let that dream go and just yeah. went, no, no, no. But the skills, even if she's never an entrepreneur after this, the skills um, to run a business and to do the customer service and to do the sales and to do the marketing and to do uh, the technical work associated with it are all skills I think will prove uh, beneficial. And um, so that's my commitment to both kids, right? Starting their sophomore year, I'll help each of them run a business. And uh, she was working last night, you know, looking at all the San Diego photo booth companies to read all their websites and understand how to compete against them and find her niche and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're getting there. We're getting ready to start. So it, well, it should be a lot of fun. Well, even, you know, so entrepreneurs tend to have this idea that their kids will be entrepreneurs, but their kids may have a different passion and want to do something else. But regardless if whether she works for a, a Fortune 500 or owns a Fortune 500, the skills you learn bootstrapping something off the ground from nothing and attracting customers and marketing and inventory management, P&Ls and all these things, they're going to serve her in either capacity, right? Exactly right. In fact, she wants to be like a lawyer or a judge. And I'm like, that's great. But in your high school time, other than she's in a mock trial thing where she can directly apply the whole, you know, uh, lawyer thing. Other than that, all the extracurriculars are, are brought down and it is you're going to learn to run a business. And at the end of your school time, you could sell the business, close the business. You could leverage the business into a new job. Like you have options, but I think those options are going to be worth more than two to three. I mean, I played sports all throughout high school. Um, I also did leadership all throughout high school. Everyone told us like, these are the things you need to do. And then you move on and you do certain things in college. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, I think everybody lied. Like yeah. I, this didn't do what you all thought it was going to do for me. And, uh, and so I'm more like, look, I, it's, there's a good chance I'll be wrong. I don't care, but I know that you will learn from this and I would rather you learn these things than being in a sweaty bus going somewhere and, and, you know, working out, not to say that there's nothing, I mean, there, there are people that do that and it's awesome yeah. and it's good for them. I'm just judging it and saying, Nope, for us, we're going to do something different. So, yeah. well, uh, plus, I, she ahead. looked at the money, right? She did just back of the envelope cash. And she was like, Oh, right. Um, years ago, years ago, my wife, we were at a dinner and you know, my buddy Syed Balki. Yep. Um, Syed is 20 years younger than me. An incredible, successful entrepreneur has, 
you know, more money mm-hmm. probably in his house than I will ever own. And that's fine. I just, I love him. He's fantastic. And he happened to be in New York at the same time that my family was in New York. And uh, he was doing something with the NFL. We were having dinner somewhere. And at dinner, my wife says, well, Emily, someday you'll get old enough to buy a car. It'll be like a junkie Dieter car, but it'll be your first car. Blah, blah, blah. And I went, what? what? Why does it have to be a junkie car? She could start a business, run a business, make money, and buy herself a Mercedes. And my wife's like, no, that's not good. And I'm like, just one second. And I texted Syed. And I'm like, hey, are you available for dessert? We're over at this restaurant. So he comes over. Um, and I just say, hey, you know, uh, solve this little debate between me and Melissa. Uh, if Emily wanted to get her first car, does it have to be a beater? And he's like, no, why would you do that? Start a company, make some money, and you can buy yourself a Mercedes. And I'm like, imagine that. <laughs> well, yeah, and Syed is probably the perfect guy to call in for that uh, lifeline, right? Because I think, oh, you know, absolutely. 17, 18, 9, 19 years old, the kid was crushing it. And That's right. So I, I did stack the deck to win my argument, and that is not, that is not atypical. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. This has been such a pleasant conversation, and I can't wait to see you next week uh, at Pressnomics. And our friend Syed will also be joining us there. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll have this one produced and published before then, if not uh, soon thereafter. So if you could let everybody know where to find you online. Yeah, I have a website at chrislemma.com. I have another blog over at leaders.blog. And I'm on Twitter at at chrislemma. I also blog over at liquidweb.com where I work. Excellent. Well, hey, Chris, thanks again, dude. Man, you're you're such a great guy. I just love you to death. So we'll see you in, oh, geez. Geez, about eight days. Exactly. Can't wait to see you. All right. Later. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to the Pressnomics Podcast. Get transcripts, show notes, links, and more for this and all other episodes at pagely.com forward slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to receive future episodes via your favorite podcast listening platform. The Pressnomics Podcast is supported in part by Pagely the original managed WordPress hosting provider, helping the world's largest brands run their WordPress presence at scale. Visit pagely.com forward slash quote to get your free quote today.